So again, do, on the handover guy, finishing Acts and into Abraham, um, we at South, we've just, I've just come from a baptism service of, um, in part of the start of it, um, and it was, it was so great that I was there. I just wanted to kind of catch you up on a few of the stories at South to start with, because for Ellie and Irina, we see them, there's Ellie and Irina, they, um, they got baptized today, or, uh, yeah, I think that I can say that they're confidently, they'll have been baptized by now. And for both of them, they have both come from uh, countries not Europe, uh, sorry, not in the UK, from Europe. They've come from Ellie, from Poland, and Irina, she has come uh, from Latvia to live in the UK. Both of them found Jesus whilst they're living here, and um, joining joined Mosaic Church and got baptised. And it's so exciting that we get to welcome the nations and get to... Uh, join with them in worshipping Jesus. And um, so God's doing that. God's saving people in the south and joining them into his church. But also, I just want to, and this is perhaps where I want to encourage you at north. You you are a faithful bunch. Do you know that? That's what the stories I hear of you. You're a faithful bunch who do what you say and are growing in love for Jesus. In, encouraged there by, by Ryan and his his kind of encouragement of you. He sees you as a people whose eyes fixed on Jesus, your arms reaching outwards. And I want to encourage you in that. And a couple behind me, Joe and Helen Birch, that's what they're like. Faithful couple, eyes fixed on Jesus with arms reaching out. And um, Mosaic South have got a, a bunch of these couples, a bunch of these people who... So for, for Joe, he's a school teacher. And uh, he's joined our Mosaic South leadership team this year. And his heart for God is huge. And he's born and bred in Beeston where we meet on a Sunday morning. And um, it's great to serve alongside people like this. And then here, my, my third person or third group of people I want you to meet. This is Amir and um, his little boy, uh, Puria. They are from Iran. And Amir has left Iran. And he's now in the UK. He has left the faith of being a Muslim and he has become a Christian. And he lives in Holbeck. And uh, the, the team of people who live in Holbeck have gathered around him, are discipling him. And recently, Amir got news that he has leave to remain here in the UK. His, his um, process for asylum has been accepted. And he's begun, beginning a journey of finding work here in the UK. And it's really encouraging. His family come to uh, come to Mosaic. And uh, as I say, from different nations all the way around the world are gathering in this city. You can tell that, can't you? As you look in Leeds and so many different um, nationalities represented in the city. But we're praying, God, please build, bring them into your church. Whether that's Mosaic or other churches in the city, God, would you do that? And that we're, see, we're seeing that. Um, we're seeing that here. We're seeing, seeing that at Central. And across Mosaic, where one church, three gatherings, um, we are together with God's vision and his values for us. That, and together with a few elements of eldership, of a central staff team, of uh, our finances are together, and websites together, and our teaching series. Which brings me today to Abraham. And the question I'm starting with, three questions. How can we truly live a life of faith? How can we be friends of God? How can we live this life? Um, that Jesus is calling us to. 
Because over 4,000 years ago, a man called Abraham walked the earth. A man called Abraham, who God designed would be a key person in making all things right again. All nations would be blessed through this man, as he became father of the nation of Israel. And an ancestor of Jesus, the one who we know gave his life for the world. And because of Abraham's great faith, the book of Hebrews holds him up as an example to follow. And James, in his book, he calls Abraham the friend of God. So this morning, if you want to, you want to become a friend of God, if you are a friend of God and want to know how you can live a life of faith, Abraham shows us how. And over the next um, few months, we're going to look at his life. We're going to see he's someone like us, with hopes and fears, with moments of um, brilliance and high points, and moments of real low and depression. You see, each person's faith journey is unique, but we all encounter similar trials, similar tribulations, similar joys and victories, just as Abraham did. And we, like him, are called to be dark light, uh, bright lights in a dark world, aren't we? We're called to do that in a world that denies God. But where we so know, we know him. We want, we want to show you him. We're going to learn how to faithfully live out a life of faith in the next few months. Looking at how to pray with faith, looking at sacrificial obedience, looking at experiencing God's power. And we're going to see that God deals with Abraham how he deals with us. So, Abraham, maybe you know him a little. Maybe you don't know him much. I don't want to confuse you this morning. I'm going to use his, his name that he's renamed Abraham. But as we read him in the passage today, we'll see him called Abram. God renames him in chapter 17, a few chapters later. But mainly for my sake, to save confusion, I'll call him Abraham all the way through. So who was he, or who is he, as we pick up this story? Well, you see, he um, has come from a place called Ur in the Chaldees. Ur was a place where they worshipped idols. They worshipped the sun gods and the moon gods. And um, for Abraham, he left his home his family, and his security to follow God. And he becomes the father of monotheism, what we would, you know, one God worship. He come from a world of many God worship. He's known to Judaism, to Islam and Christianity. He's known all across the world. And he was a son of Terah. And you see this map here. Ur is in the bright green toward the Persian Gulf. And that's where he came from. If you go west from there, you can see perhaps more uh, cities you recognize, Damascus and Jerusalem. He ends up getting there in the story today, and I'll, I'll take you through it. But to know a little bit more about the, his background, it's helpful, I hope, that he was a descendant of Shem, one of Noah's sons. And 400 years after the flood, he had, was growing up. That's when we find him in history. Um, the people he lived amongst were known as a grossly idolatrous people. Nature worship, sun and moon, gods being their thing. They worshipped gods that didn't communicate with them. They'd given up 
on following God and the God of their ancestor, Noah, and instead turned to their own carnal desires. But for God, in his steadfast nature, he reached down and he plucked out Abraham and set him apart that he would live a life for others and for others to follow. Abraham's father moves from that place, Ur. He moves north, west, up to to Haran. You see Haran at the top of the Mari kingdom. And he's on his way to Canaan, but he stops there, his father, and settles. Abraham is called out of a mono, many-god, nature-worshipping God culture by a God who speaks. And in his obedience, Abraham leaves and goes where God says. Let's have a look at Genesis 12, verse 4. This is, this is how Abraham hears God. So Abraham went, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. God speaks. Abraham obeys. He puts his identity, his future, his survival in God's hands by following him. And for us, it's a picture of repentance. When God calls us, and earlier today at South, God called Irina and Ellie to a life of following him. It meant they had to leave things behind. That they had to say, oh, I'm laying that down. I'm saying no to that thing. And for us, when we come into relationship with Jesus, sometimes we find we need to leave things behind as well. The God who speaks here to Abraham is also the God who goes with him. As we get to verse 7 in uh, Genesis 12, which we'll read shortly all together, the Lord appears to Abraham and tells him, to the offspring I will give this land. So Abraham has left, yet God keeps speaking as God keeps going with him. And if today you're you're concerned about a journey of faith alone, that you're as in a journey of faith on your own. You need to be reassured. God is with you. God is with you. And maybe this morning you get a chance to encounter God in your loneliness. And as Abraham moves, and in his story, and what we're, what we're seeing in the next few months, we'll see a God who asks us to loosen our grip on the world so that we can strengthen our grip on him. Abraham becomes an unsettled person. God dislodges him and moves his family. And this might be happening for you right now. You may feel, you might, may identify with that. I feel dislodged. I feel My roots aren't quite as firm as I thought they were. Perhaps this uncertainty is about people in your life moving away. Maybe this is about an uncertainty in your life of you having in the workplace. Today, in this loosening of your grip on the world, God says, grasp, hold hold more firmly to me. And so God, you see, calls Abraham to leave everything and trust him with his future. And he promises at this point, they, they, um, they're a childless couple, Abraham and his wife Sarah. He promises that his family would extend throughout the world and all peoples would be blessed through them. You see, before, let me just catch you up with the story of before Abraham. 
Because before Abraham, God at the start of creation makes Adam and Eve to live in perfect relationship with him. And it's a story of creation where we see God walked with people. This beautiful friendship. But it becomes corrupted at the fall and sin enters the world. And people begin to believe the lie, God is not enough. Murder, corruption, deceit soon follow this this fall. Then God sets apart Noah. And he wants to restart or reboot the human race with one good family. And by the time of Abraham... The human race sadly has descended again into morally abject living, worshipping gods created by themselves rather than worshipping the creator himself. Yet God has a vision of the future where we, the his people he has made, will worship him and have this beautiful friendship restored. God realises, he knew it all along, intervention would be needed and he sets in motion this plan through Abraham that all people might know him again. So let's read this chapter together as we start this series on Abraham. When I say let's read it together, I'll do the reading You out loud. You can follow. Join in if you like. I just wanted that made sure. Yeah, I don't want people confused and embarrassed. So I'll read it. You can follow. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they went. They set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills of the east, east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the family was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when the Pharaoh officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake. And Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. 
Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way, his wife, with his wife and everything he had. Let me pray. Father, thank you. You do speak today. Please, this morning, move us toward obedience. Might Abraham be an example to us, Father? Help us hear you this morning, God. Amen. So God has spoken to Abraham pretty clearly. Abraham has ears to hear God's call and gives him enough information to obey. Imagine, though, in this place called Haran, Abraham and his brother Nahor having a conversation. Abraham's saying, I'm off, buddy. And Nahor says, oh, what more do you want, though, that you can't have here? He says, listen, Abraham would say, he say back to him, I want nothing more than to do God's will, wherever it may lead. Nahor comes back, come on, Abe, do you really need to move? Abraham, oh, what I need to do most is to do the will of God and follow him. Nahor, but what about the dangers of the journey that you've got to travel? What about all the robbers who'd be out there who'd take you captive? Why not stay? But Abraham says, God who asked me must take responsibility for all that. He will keep me safe. Where exactly are you going, brother? Tell me. Reassure my heart. Where are you going to pitch your tent? Abraham finishes this conversation. That's a question I cannot answer. To be honest, I know as much as you, brother. But I'm sure by taking a day's walk at a time, God will lead me. He will make it clear until he may, until the land and the country I'm to settle, God shows me. Can you imagine having that conversation with someone in your family or one of your friends? Maybe words would pop into your head like nutter or lunatic. Maybe you speak them out loud. I don't know you that well. Abraham would quietly answer as we utter those words. God has spoken. God has spoken. God has promised. God will do better than he's ever said. Abraham, you see, believes God as well as believes in him. You see the difference? Abraham believes God and what he'll say as well as believing in him. And as a people, I hope, as people come to say, oh, I believe in God. Uh, yeah, I, wanna, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow him. They move from that place of believing in him to believing him. And the things he says. The next step is hard. Because Abraham has to leave a lot of things behind. God has spoken though. What does he say? He says, I will make you into a great nation. God promises him descendants large enough to form a nation. However, to have a nation, one would need both land and an heir. He's childless at 75 with a wife in her mid-60s. He's also, having moved from his uh, homeland in Ur, he's without land. He's out without land he will inherit. He's moved away then from his father in Haran. He's without land from he will inherit from him. So as he moves away, he forfeits any right of inheriting land by sonship. Yet Abraham trusts God he will both provide land and provide an heir. Abraham first believes in God and then he believes God or believes in God's promises to him. 
And here's a first moment of four we will see as we just track through the next 15, 20 minutes that Abraham is a man like us. He's someone who who has long periods of waiting, we see in his story, yet he is transformed by God. The biblical scholar F.B. Meyer remarks that God does his best work on our character in times of waiting. That is when, you see, when we appear to be waiting, God is able to move in our hearts. That's when God is able to transform us most. My wife Emma is a social worker now. She's an adoption social worker. However, when she was a teenager, she was given a prophetic word that she would be a mother to many. And she naturally assumed she'd have many children. When we got engaged, we talked about this. And I wasn't quite so sure. However, now as Emma being an adoption social worker has many children under her care. In times of waiting for God to do as he promised, Emma's character has been refined She's been transformed. She's grown more like Jesus in the last 15 years since hearing that word. I was speaking to someone in our church recently who's learning what it is to believe not just in God, but believe God and believe in the things he says. God's word tells us he will provide. Also, including in Philippians 4, where it says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And over the course of this year, this person, they've been able to learn what it is to put their trust in him and believe in him that he will provide. Yet it takes patience. It takes time. There's a time of waiting. In the second part of Abraham's call, God promises a personal blessing that includes blessing and protection. He says, I will, ma- I will bless you and I will make your name great. Final part of Abraham's call, God promises a a blessing internationally. In God's plan to bring healing and restoration to the world, he's going to do it through this man, Abraham. Through this man and his faith, the nation situated at that time at the centre of the world. They had pathways to the west, pathways to the east. Canaan was at the centre of the world. And all the peoples will be blessed through you. Having heard from God, Abraham abandoned his homeland and denied his culture. He disconnected from his family and sacrificed his land and threw any plans he had himself for his future. And this reveals a second way Abraham is like us. You see, in this story, even in, the, in chapter 12 as we looked at this morning, Abraham has stuttering obedience. Yet still God accomplishes his purposes. Abraham said by his choices, yeah, I'll go. Even though I'm sure he had many unanswered questions, right? In that call, I'll go to this place that I will show you. He wholeheartedly starts in obedience. And he erects a new stone in Canaan. A stone that says, the God of Abraham has come here to Canaan. He then gets to what is modern-day Jerusalem and he erects another stone which says, Lord, I trust you. Yet when famine came, Abraham moved from this place to Egypt 
and he uses deceit to save his own skin. You see, no sooner has he commended for his faith in God, he then puts his trust again in himself. Isn't he like us? I certainly feel like that sometimes. He moves from worshipper who creates altars in in a land he just arrived in to a worrier who lifts up his own agenda to save himself. He fibs to save his own skin. His cowardice puts his own wife at risk. Here's the call, he obeys. He comes stuck, not sure what to do, disobedient. For us, you relate to him perhaps. Well, the story doesn't end in God being cruel, God casting him out. The story continues for Abraham. And Psalms tell us what God is like. The God who's called him is the God who is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. This morning you might think, do you know what? I've been a disobedient. I'm still disobedient in an area of my life. And you perhaps for too long have come on a Sunday and thought, maybe this is the day I'll come to God and I'll, I'll do the repentant turning round and come back to him. Well, listen, for Abraham... His disobedience didn't stop him seeing who God was. For Abraham, his delay didn't stop him coming back to God. If you feel like you're delaying in obedience this morning, don't let your past of disobedience stop you. Jesus makes a way for us all to come. And for Abraham, we see in this story so much grace to him. You see, Sarah is rescued from Egypt. Abraham then has an heir called Isaac. We'll see who's born in Genesis 21. Abraham then, his, Abraham's descendants then inherit the land of Canaan. Eventually, but they do. God comes through on his promise. And years later, one of Abraham's descendants is born in a stable. And he becomes saviour of the world. The story of Abraham making a mess in Egypt reveals the next two points. You see, he's someone who makes mistakes, yet receives grace from God. The mistakes he makes are because he depends on himself and his wisdom. He takes matters into his own hands without first seeking God. Yet it's a reminder of God's graciousness towards his people. Pharaoh returns Sarah to Abraham in the outbreak of pestilences and diseases. Abraham leaves uh, leaves Egypt with his wife, but perhaps without honour. But uh, Pharaoh could have done something far worse. Abraham could have put him to death, no problem. Abraham could have wiped them off the face of the earth, no problem. Yet, Pharaoh, for some reason, enables Abraham to return to Canaan, along with all the the things he's gained from being there. God's remarkable grace enables Abraham to keep on building. Abraham didn't deserve it, that's for sure. But God's protection is on him. God also protected Abraham from God's own judgment. How easy could it have been for God to say, yeah, I made a mistake in asking this guy. You ever think that? God made a mistake in asking me. No. That's not how God's mind works. You see, God chooses Abraham and he's committed to that choice. 
He doesn't bury Abraham in shame and condemnation. Instead, God uses his failure as a tool for instruction, a tool for transformation. We've got grace in abundance, whether we're doing a great job or we're doing a bad job. And maybe this morning you think, do you know what? Dan doesn't know my life, doesn't know what I'm up to, but God does. And you think, God, if God is gracious enough to restore me, I can open my heart again to him this morning. And perhaps you need to take a Kit Kat moment, I'll call it. It's maybe an unusual moment right now where you find yourself convicted of disobedience. You can find yourself aware the Holy Spirit's just putting his hand on you, just pointing out how he doesn't want you to live, but he's also casting your gaze to Jesus. And in this Kit Kat moment, the call is to return to a God who is gracious. Called to be part of this family that is gracious to each other as we lead each other to Jesus. Come to Abraham. Imagine him in this blunder. He's moved by God again to obedience. As we see in the story, quite soon there are some remarkable encounters coming where Abraham is a man who clearly, living by faith, trusting in God. God has moved him toward obedience. This morning, get a chance to respond a little in in ministry. Maybe get a chance to be prayed for. God wants to move you to obedience. And finally, we see someone who doubts yet trusts in God's promises. It teaches that the faithful sometimes do fall, this story. The good and the godly aren't always perfect, yet God's grace finds a way for them, for us, to be restored. There's so much that should encourage us in this story. So much. God brings Abraham back to himself and strengthens him, leads him to some, as someone who puts trust in the promises of God. He's a man like us, someone who's had long periods of waiting yet transformed by God, someone who has stuttering obedience yet God accomplishes his pur- purposes. He's someone who makes mistakes yet receives grace from God. He's someone who doubts yet trusts in God's promises. He's someone like us. And if we start this series, I hope you can connect with him and to the God of Abraham. Because you see, from God there was another who is similar to Abraham. Jesus, he leaves his home in heaven to go to a place he did not know, just like Abraham. He obeys the Father for a promise to the world. And in Jesus we're able to do the same. You see, Jesus, his waiting leaves us to be transformed. At just the right time, Romans tells us, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus waited with his Father in heaven for the right time to come to earth and save us. His obedience is how God accomplishes his purposes. His obedience makes a way for us to come to him. His life lived without mistakes so that we might receive grace for us. And he trusts Jesus. What he does, he trusts the promises of God to put an end to our doubts. Jesus, he's the key person that Abraham's story points to. He is the key player in all of history. Jesus, God himself, he's saying today, I want to call you friends. Jesus not only models to us what obedience looks like, 
but he puts his spirit in us. Genesis 12, verse 4, tells us Abraham left. There's his great first mark of obedience. And we look at Jesus' greatest mark of obedience, that of the cross, where he says to the world, arms outstretched, come to me, I love you. Come to the cross, receive forgiveness. May your sins be wiped away. And he's... Jesus' obedience, Abraham's obedience, calls people in the church to obedience. We look at our church and we see Neil and Becky, who we sent just less than 12 months ago to Turkey, to be part of a church planting team there. God has moved them to obedience. Look at the um, Holbeck and what they're doing there. People in Mosaic moving to an inner city place to bring the gospel to people. God has moved them. And Sarah helping, she prepares in um, the autumn to move to Lebanon. God has moved her to obedience as she keeps her eyes on Jesus. We're to call these people to do the same together with us, living out obedience of what we have been asked. As I wrap up this morning, I want to ask you this question. Why give up so much in my life to follow God? Well, obedience is costly, but it is wise, and we have many examples in Scripture who show us it is the best way. Abraham called by God, yet withdrawing from Ur and Haran meant he was going to go to a place he did not know and leave behind all he had. For us, it may not be necessary to leave behind Leeds, Bradford, Otley, wherever your home is, to follow him. But it perhaps will be necessary to move you away from all the things you depend on so that you would truly depend on him. This morning there is an invitation to come to Jesus, give up again all you hold dear and put Jesus right at the top of the pile and courageously follow God's call. God calls us, God is with us. I invite the band back now. I'm going to ask, would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us as a church that we'll be able to follow Abraham's example of obedience, receiving grace, receiving again his call to live for him. As we respond in worship, I want to do what Ryan encouraged you to, is keep your eyes fixed on him your hands high, your heart big for him, but also your hands outstretched, thinking of others who don't yet know Jesus. We'd love it, wouldn't we, in this church, for to see many people in Leeds know him this year. We'd love that. And our, our obedience comes this morning because God motivates us. He comes into our hearts and he moves us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace in this story. Thank you we see Abraham. We say he's done some great things. He's he's an example to us. We say, please help us live like him by knowing Jesus more closely and having the Holy Spirit in our hearts.